Hey guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Amanda. And this right here is Allegedly. guys wow all right we're having a we're having a start here i guess i need you guys to know that i just asked amanda if she was ready to record and she said i was born ready bitch <laughs> she <laughs> did not come out the way it was she was really unsure of using it at all <laughs> it was all kinds of wrong it was great though i felt i felt that with every <laughs> part of me this is not the first time that amanda and i've seen each other in like a week but it's been a week amanda's had a lot going on you have a sick child i do you have a sick cousin i do and i was on vacation yes i was very jealous I of actually being on she went to the beach and i just i did not just go to any beach i went to westerly rhode island specifically watch hill because we were swimming in front of taylor swift's mansion yeah let's not keep telling amanda that and throwing it in her face that would be lovely we're gonna have to go. It's only five hours from work. Only. I told you, you say only like that, but that is only two episodes of true crime and cocktails to listen True. all the way down. True. You know how fast that would go? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Or when you put it like that, it sounds more appealing. Or five episodes of Morbid, and then we'd be there instead of listening to a thousand songs because those are only three minutes each. Did you see what was on our Facebook page? The comments of the new listeners. What what? No, the listeners of um, how many listeners have listened to an episode. Yeah. Well, well, Ira is at... 99, right? Oh, no, it's past 100 now. Oh, it is? 102. Yeah. I think it's 100. Yes, it's, yes. It, well, it was 102, I think, last night or this morning, whenever I posted it. Um, so it's past that now. But one of our episodes is finally at 100. So that makes me super, like... Oh, I love that. I love, uh, and you know, I was so proud of myself. I was visiting um, a family member in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania over the weekend, and I happened to eat at a restaurant, and our waitress was phenomenal. And I wrote down all of our podcast information on a napkin because I didn't have any paper, and she was like, she took it, she put it right in her notebook that she takes to and from work, and she's like, I can't put it in my pocket because I don't want it to get ruined. I want to remember it, and it was just lovely. And you instantly thought what? Ashley's going to be so proud of me. I am so proud of you. <laughs> and we've only done that one other time, and that was when we Tully's. went to Tully's. Yes. And that was almost like... That's that when we first started. That It was a little cocky of me, because she was... What did she say? Oh, because she wanted me to fill out the survey. She wanted us to fill out the survey, and I said, we'll only do that if you listen yes. to our podcast. And so that's a little cocky of me. And, I and you don't like that. I don't like cocky. But it went over well. It did. It she did. was like, absolutely. And yeah. then she was like, what's it about? And I'm like, true crime. And yeah. she went, <gasps> her eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. And I really like that. That tends to be when I told our waitress that. Yeah. She was like, oh my gosh, what is it? I got to listen to it. And I'm like, everyone seems to really love the true crime aspect. And true crime is a thing. It's a thing that people love. I mean, especially women. Women love true crime, which... I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is either, but I've loved it all uh, growing up as a teenager. I was always listening to, or I was watching um, America's Most Wanted, scaring myself with it. Oh my God. We used to watch Rescue 911. Yes. Okay. Can I, I tell you quickly I, about I, Rescue 911? Give me the you know, nightmares. You know Jessica in the well? 
it was part of the opener for Rescue 911, and it was when I lived in Texas. It happened. Um, and we're about the same age, I'm pretty sure. Don't hold me to that, but I'm almost positive. She had fallen down a well. Guys, she came out alive. She's alive today. Um, but that was one of the, it was in the opener kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Baby, that show was scary. It wasn't death on me. Yeah. I, so America's Most Wanted, once they would be like, he's still out there. I'm like, oh my looking. God, is he watching in my window? I, yeah. I'm yeah. on the second floor of my grandparents' house. Yeah. But my grandpa had built a ladder to the wall. It's an old house. He had built a wooden ladder the to the wall. The one that you showed me. Yep, yeah. Okay. To get off the second floor. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, he's still out there. These people are in Texas, and I'm thinking they're watching me. Yeah, same. From the wooden ladder, same. Attached to the yep. side of the house, and then even to this day, I'm still like, oh, I need to be all underneath my cover so they can't see me. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I have to be. Yeah, I have to be under I, my cover yep. so they can't see me. I know. It's it's a thing. I don't know what that's about. That's a great story. Can we talk about murder? <laughs> <laughs> so who do we got today ashley the one we have today is heavy and i think it may be the heaviest one that we've done yet yeah it's it's heavy uh so quick disclaimer it is a trial death it's gonna be a two-parter we can't really get past that it, it's uh, can't stop won't stop far too many notes but we also have two 911 calls um and you have to hear them to get the full effect of the case right the yeah. second 911 call is like 16 minutes long and you you just need to hear the whole thing because we're gonna end up analyzing it but so disclaimer if trial death is not what you want to be hearing then you're gonna want to not listen to this episode um but i do think that it needs to be told I, I think things like this need to be told. Like what we have a thing on our website, where, how to stay alive. Yeah, we they, sure do. And you know, so like taking lessons from what happened here, what can we learn from these cases to keep ourselves, our kids, our family safe, our dogs. Yes, Amanda, and our dogs. Cause I just really love dogs. Maybe we should just start another podcast about <gasps> death of dogs. No, I can't do that. Nope. I can't even watch the Humane Society commercials without crying. I can't. I can't. Nope. All right. So we are talking about Jessica Ridgeway today. And I know that normally I don't tell you anything about Amanda, but I have told you the name and you said that it sounds familiar. It does. But I didn't Google anything to figure out why it sounds familiar to me. So. Well, that's good. I also want to say that if you guys can hear anything in the background this time, we have two kids here. Whenever we record with my son landing around, it's always questionable. <laughs> it's always questionable. This is because true. you're a parent, Amanda. One yeah. of your kids is here. Yeah. But, like, as soon as I turn on the recording, that's, that's when, when he needs yep. a hug. He needs water that he all of a sudden can't get by himself. Watermelon. He's uh, like, yeah. I need to pee. Come wipe me. Yeah, I haven't done that <laughs> for ages. I'm literally doing something. Okay. Let's get into the case. So in June 2022, where I live, a group of kids were at the park just one street over from my house. Now, listeners don't know where I live, but you can picture it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can literally see the park from my living room window since I live on the second floor. 
my son Landon sometimes asks to go to this park to play without me. I've told him no since he's still not old enough to venture there alone. See, this how he's eight. I'm not comfortable with our society nowadays. Yeah. It's not like when, when we were kids. Right. Yeah. When we were growing up, it was, I mean. We the, rode our bikes everywhere. The dangers were still there. It's we, just not as prominent as right, nowadays. Right, right. I was, growing up when I was eight, I actually lived on the south side of where I live now, which is even sketchier. So this particular day in June of 2022, the group of kids that were at the park without a parent, not my child, um, they were approached by a man asking, asking if they wanted candy. The kids said no, and one was even smart to, like, somehow get his cell phone out and nonchalantly take a picture of not only the vehicle's license plate. The man? But the man himself. <gasps> so Kudos to that kid's parents for teaching them how to do something like seriously. that. Seriously. So... When the kids got home, they told their parents about what had happened, and then a post immediately started circulating on Facebook, which made it into my feed. So the photos and the story of the events were listed, and the police were notified. People were outraged. They were outraged at the fact that... A person would do that? Yeah. That, oh, okay. That okay. a report yeah. was coming in of a suspicious male in a van. He was an older man. I'd like to say 60s, 70s, maybe. And that they, he was just going to a park. He, he literally, it seems as though he had no other reason to be there. He was just asking kids if they want candy. So at one point, it was actually reported that the license plate was fake and untraceable. But then the local police department here issued a statement. Um, I've removed the name of the department as well as the name of the park. But it says, we have received a complaint about a suspicious male in a van that reportedly asked a pair of juveniles at a local park if they wanted candy. We have been investigating this incident since it was reported on June 24th. We have located the vehicle and interviewed the male in question. A social media post has been gaining some attention. The vehicle had a valid Florida license plate, and then they put it in parentheses earlier, it was said to be fake. Based on our investigation thus far, we do not believe the male in question poses any danger to the community. However, we are continuing our investigation into this matter. So here's a little edit. So to clear up some confusion and answer some questions that raised after their original post, they added this on and they said information circulating on social media indicated the license plate was fake. We verified the plate to be valid, which aided in identifying the subject. Our investigation concluded that a criminal history check of the subject, a review of the sex offender registry, correspondence with the Florida law enforcement agency from which the subject resides, we carefully interviewed the subject as well. Although suspicious and alarming this day and age, the act of offering candy to kids is not a crime, and there is no probable cause to warrant an arrest. We found no evidence that he is likely to harm anybody. Despite our findings, this incident dis demonstrated that the children involved were aware enough to recognize suspicious behavior and reacted appropriately by contacting police. Yes, they did. So people were outraged because, we no, it's not a crime to... But this is a Florida <clears throat> license plate. Is, did he used to live in the area? Maybe. But I think that's information they could have found out. So why is Anne yeah. out of town, out of state very out of state, we're in New York, 
Why is he just at some random park trying to give kids candy? I wish they would have told us that. So, I know that's not illegal, but parents were outraged, as you can imagine. Yeah, of course. You know, just some crazy person handing out candy. So, obviously, the people were still unhappy about the man just going around offering the candy to children. I do not agree with it either. And I must also wonder why the man would be doing it. I don't know what was going on in his mind to say, I'm going to go hand out candy at the park. Yeah, I know. Got a good idea. I'm vigilant in telling my kids what to do if something like this or worse happens. And I believe every parent should, yeah. which is exactly what happened in this case, because the kids said no, and they were... I can't guarantee that Lando would go, huh, he'll know. And I can't guarantee that he would be nonchalant. No, and he'd be like, hold on, let me take your picture! Smile! <laughs> Say cheese! Say cheese, I'll give you a piece of your own candy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but this is one thing we do as parents. Do not talk to strangers. Yep. Jessica Christine Ridgway was born on January 23rd, 2002, to her parents, Sarah Ridgway and Jeremiah Bryant, who later were divorced, and they went through a heck of a custody battle. Jeremiah went to live about 13 hours away in Independence, Missouri, while Jessica lived with her mother, Sarah, her grandmother, Christine, and her aunt, Rebecca, in Westminster, Colorado, on Moore Street. The living situation was not only a great environment for Jessica, but it also ensured that somebody was always there to take care of her since the adults had different schedules. She literally had somebody there all the time. Good. In 2012, at the young age of 10, she was just a fifth grader at the local Witt Elementary School. I'm going to pause right there because I forgot that I wanted to give you, Amanda, a disclaimer about this because you also have a child going into fifth grade. Right? Sure do. A girl, Mackenzie. Yeah, this is about a fifth grader. So, I'm sorry. I love you. But again. I'll we, learn from it. You know what? Go to our website. You can learn how to <laughs> Not- keep your child alive. <laughs> um, so, anyway. Fifth grader at the local elementary school named Witt Elementary. She signed up for the Stanley Lake Pee Wee Cheer Clinic and told her mom she wanted to be a cheerleader when she reached high school. She promised she would be a cheerleader, quote unquote, who will be kind to everyone. My daughter also cheers, by the way. I love you. (laughs) Being young did not define Jessica, though, which I think in this way she is different from your daughter. It is said that she was mature for her age. She was responsible and took care of her own dog and did most things without being asked a second time. She had a black and white dog, which when I Googled the photo of it, it came up as a Jack Russell Terrier. Mm -hmm. She also had two fish and two frogs that she meticulously took care of as well. Her mother described her more often than not acting as though she were a teenager. Jessica had a silly side and planned her Halloween costume for 2012 to be a zombie lifeguard. Nice. I love everything about that. I think yeah. that if I brought that up to Landon, that's what he would be. Oh, yeah, 100%. Jessica was bright and always happy. And in all the photos that I found, she was smiling ear to ear and sporting her signature gap between her teeth. Oh. Yeah. Jessica's favorite color was purple. And she displayed it well. She wore the color on her face. Her prescription glasses were purple. Nice. So her favorite TV shows were Victorious, Shake It Up. And Wizards of Waverly Place. My girls watch Victorious all the time. Yeah, I I can identify with those. Tara loved Shake It Up and kind of, sort of, on the cusp of Wizards Wizards of Of Waverly Waverly Place. Place. They couldn't have made that more of a tongue twister. Right. 
she loved attending her cousin's ball games and inventing nicknames for all of the players. And she cherished the responsibility of caring for her neighbor's hairless cats. Ew. I mean, my niece Madeline would love that. She wants a hairless cat so bad. I think they look like they're turned inside out. They're so ugly, they're a little bit cute. I don't like that at all. So, Sarah, her mother, worked at a nearby tech company, which caused her to work super long hours and nights. But despite that, Jessica was an easy child to raise and did well taking care of herself. Even though she had those two other adults in the home. Jessica set her own routine and stuck to it. She used her own alarm clock to wake up in the morning, then headed downstairs to watch TV and eat a granola bar before she headed back up to her room to get ready for school. This was her daily schedule. Can you imagine? No, because I have a 15-year-old boy who still relies on me to wake him up and make him breakfast. I, we might need to talk about that (laughs) off mic. (laughs) So on October 5th, 2012, Sarah made it home that morning before Jessica left. However, that did not hinder the young girl's routine, of course. After she was dressed and ready, she headed to the kitchen where she and her mother peeled oranges together for Jessica's school snack. She then (laughs) filled her own water bottle before her mother ushered her towards the door because she was running just like... I think it was like only a minute, minute and a half, two minute tops late. Um, And she reminded Jessica not to be late for school. It was now 8.30 a.m. Jessica's home was 1.4 miles from Witt Elementary School where she attended classes. Now I have a lot of maps to go along with this um, because it all happened in kind of a remote area. It's not like she was taken three towns over. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's all in a general area, um, but there's a lot of area coverage. Like, one thing happened here, one thing happened here, there's a home here that's important, there's a home here that's important, there's the school. So, so we I got have pictures and stuff to show yeah, our listeners? Okay. There were a few routes available for Jessica to use to get there, and depending on which one she used, she could make it to school between, like, 27 to 33 minutes. Okay. According to Jessica's routine... She would walk only about a block alone because then she would meet up with her friend Jeremy at Chelsea Park to walk the rest of the way to school because Jeremy lived like right across the street from Chelsea Park. So he would walk to Chelsea Park. They would meet up and walk to school together. Before Jessica left to meet him that morning, she called him like she called the house just to confirm I'm meeting you. And I think she spoke to his father and, uh, dad said yep he'll be waiting for you and jessica left to go to school it was snowing that day so when she left that morning for school she was wearing blue jeans puffy black jacket with pink lining uh, black boots with little like fluffy pom-poms attached to them she also had her purple glasses and she also had a black and pink backpack with the characters from um victorious okay After she left and was on her way, Sarah turned in ready to go to bed around like 9 a.m. Because she needed rest. Yeah, she just got home. Jeremy waited at the park for Jessica as planned. The distance to the meeting place would only take about four to five minutes, like tops, for her to walk. After waiting a good 10 minutes with no sign Jessica, Jeremy decided she must have been so late and just changed plans. So he decided to go on without her. Because Jessica didn't have a cell phone. Yeah. So they had no way to contact her. So, and he didn't want to be late. So he just proceeded to school without her. So it's not known when Jessica arrived at the park or if she even did at all. 
But if she did and her friend wasn't there, she would have walked the rest of the way to school alone. Has she done that before? Walked by herself? I'm not exactly sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that at some point Jeremy had been sick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right, So I'm sure she's done it before alone. It seems like the town that they're in is decently, like, it's very community-based so in safe, so I don't think that would have been an issue. However, a few weeks prior, there were actually reports in Colorado of a white van trying to lure girls into their car with the promise of candy. Does that sound familiar at all? Yes. That's why I opened this for that. So the community was on high alert, and parents talked with their kids about stranger danger, but Jessica was a really smart girl and had planned her walk to school with friends to stay safer than normal. However, it seems as though this particular community, like I said, was really safe. So whether she had to walk alone or not, it was just, I think it was fine. Yeah. Sarah awoke around 4 p.m. to a weird quiet in her home. Because she should have been home from school by then, right? Right. She yeah. had expected her daughter to be there by that time. However, it wasn't the stillness that really concerned her because when she looked at her phone, she had multiple missed calls and a message from Jessica's school. They had tried to reach her numerous times while she was sleeping. Now, there's questions as to where Sarah's phone was, okay? Some sources say that it was near her, while others say it was in another room charging. Honestly, I don't care where her phone was. The woman worked all night. Did she just miss a call? Sometimes that's acceptable people. Yeah. So I know that I have a do not disturb feature. I'm sure every phone at this point does. I never use mine. Right. So I use mine because I do not like my sleep disturbed. But do you know how it works? No. So you can actually set your phone to do not disturb, but you can customize it. So you are one of my favorite contacts, Amanda. (laughs) Yeah. So if I have my phone on do not disturb and it's on vibrate or sound, if you call or text me, it'll come through even though do not disturb is on. Oh, okay. So like Tara's on there. James, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, these okay. people are on there. They could get through. So only like emergency contacts. Okay. So, I didn't know that. That's a correct. Yeah, That's, so it okay. might be a good thing for you to actually yeah. do, you know. Or she just didn't use the side feature because I don't know if they had it in 2012. Here we are 10 years later. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, the message that Sarah received was actually asking where her daughter Jessica was because she never made it to school. This was unusual for the fifth grader. Sarah's first course of action was to go to Jeremy's home. Yeah, because that's who she meet. Right. To see if either he or his parents had seen her, but no one answered the door when she got there. She then went to the school to look for her just in case they somehow missed her. Because that can happen. Right. And I don't know the exact times that they called her. So maybe they called her first thing in the morning, but then she ended up just being late and they just never said it. I don't know. Right. You never know. Sarah wasn't sure if maybe there was an accident or if it was just an oversight and maybe her daughter was at the school. Uh, But deep down, Sarah felt her child was in danger. I know that feeling. Like even at the grocery store, you turn around and they're just like around the corner looking at like the end cap. And you're like, oh my God, they're gone. So I can imagine what she's been going through. Without knowing where her child could be and now panicking, like I imagine any person would. Yeah. Sarah called 911. This is 911. What is the address of your emergency? It's 10786 Moore Street. 10786 Moore Street? Yeah. Okay, what's going on there? My daughter's 
missing. Um, I guess she never made it to school this morning. How old's your daughter? She's 10. Okay, what's your daughter's name? Jessica Bridgeway. And when did you last see her? Um, this morning when she left at 8.30. Did she walk? Yeah. And I checked her friend's house that she walked and they're not answering the door. And you said that the school called, so they weren't? And I worked nights, so I slipped through the call. Okay, sir, sorry about that. We've got several officers on the way over to um, help you out, okay? So, I don't know how well you could all hear that because 911 calls are super sketchy. But it was pretty much everything I've already told you. Yeah. It was just the 911 call. Yeah. So when police were sent, it turns out that they were able to make contact with Jeremy's family. Oh, good. His father said he had not seen Jessica that morning. That means that whatever happened on this particular morning happened in the one block walk. And it threw off Jessica's entire schedule. Sarah did confirm Jessica's outfit with the backpack, description, and yeah. everything she was wearing in order to aid in the search. The Westminster Police Department put out missing posters about Jessica, described that she had blue eyes, blonde hair, she was 4'8", she weighed 80 pounds. It was also listed what she was last seen wearing, like I told you, mm -hmm. as well as her backpack. Sarah did not think that Jessica would get into a vehicle with someone that she didn't know very well. So I guess this brings up the question whether or not she was taken by force or whether she was actually, like, coerced by somebody with, like, lies of knowing her. Yeah. You know, or somebody was like, oh, I'm your mom's co-worker. It's she wanted so, me to come and get you. Right. Yeah. Um, which is something that, like, a how to stay alive thing yeah. is... You know how people personalize everything nowadays? Don't do that. Wanna, do not personalize do not do that. backpacks. No. People do that. They're like, oh, the name Madeline. Let's just put it right. Because then it, it, I could go up and be like, oh, Maddie, there you are. Your mom sent me to get you. What are you doing here? And the kids aren't thinking, oh, it's right on my backpack. No. They're like, oh, they know my name. Yeah. That's Now, Sarah it did not have this on Jessica's. So... That's not the case. No. But I'm just saying. Yeah, like, just a pointer on how to stay alive, y'all. Yeah, don't be putting that stuff out there. Police began where they normally do. Working from the inside of Jessica's life and out. So this means they had to start looking at her family. And they started with her father, Jeremiah. Which lived in Missouri. Missouri, yeah. So on October 5th, 2012, Jeremiah was actually quickly ruled out because he had an alibi. He was in Missouri. Turns out that on that exact day, he actually had a court hearing regarding his custody of Jessica after lapsing on child support payments. So he was actually in court. So That's a pretty darn good alibi, yeah. if I don't say so yeah, yeah, myself. Yeah. So from aside from looking at Witt Elementary, her home and property surrounding it, everything was just like thoroughly searched for clues on where Jessica could be. On October 6th, the next day, a search party consisting of police, Family members, community members, they all walked from the Ridgeway home on Moore Street. Using like following her, her tracks, like yeah, the way she would have went? Essentially, just yeah. following her normal route to school. Search dogs and thermal sensors were used to search the surrounding areas along her route. After the search came up empty, an Amber Alert was finally sent out with Jessica's photo and description. Police in the community placed purple ribbons around the school and her route to keep the public's attention of her disappearance. They didn't want this to go away, obviously. Right. This crime just, like, really shook this community of 13,000 residents. It, like, they just, they felt this. So, 
parents were now keeping closer eye on their children, and they were looking to find a suspect closer to home. So one thing I kept reading uh, comment-wise, because I like to see people's comments on things, was a question that seemed to be, it seems to be raised a lot of the time in missing person cases or children. Uh, and that question is, why did they wait so long to put out an Amber Alert? I was thinking the same thing. All right, well, let's go over what an Amber Alert is. For those who don't know, I'm going to read directly from the Amber Alert website, which I will link in the show notes below. But it says, the Amber Alert system began in 1996 when Dallas-Fort Worth broadcasters teamed up with local police to develop an early warning system to help find abducted children. Amber stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. It was actually created as a legacy to a nine-year-old, Amber Hagerman, who was kidnapped while riding her bicycle in Arlington, Texas, and then she was brutally murdered. Other states and communities soon set up like their own Amber plans, and the idea was adopted across the nation. Once law enforcement has determined that a child has been abducted and then meets Amber Alert criteria, the law enforcement notifies broadcasters and state transportation officials. Amber Alerts interrupt like all regular programming and they are broadcast on the radio and television and DOT highway signs. And now your cell phones. Yeah. Amber Alerts can also be re-disseminated through lottery, digital billboards, internet ad exchanges, yeah. internet service providers, internet engines, as well as anything electronic, phones. basically. Yes. Yeah. So now that we're in its 26th year of operation, the Amber Alert program, as of May 1st, 2022, has contributed to the recovery of actually 1,114 children. That's fantastic. And resulted in the rescue of 123 children. So... It's now said that there's a criteria that needs to be met in order for an Amber Alert to be sent out, which I find a little crazy, but maybe it's just because of resources that you can't just go, oh, my kid's missing, and they're popping into all of this resources. Because they would be bombarded. Right. And yeah. the amount of, like, runaways, too. Yeah. But the police in Jessica Ridgeway's case needed to wait until that criteria was met. So let's go over what that criteria is. Each state Amber Alert plan includes its own criteria for the Amber Alert. So it could be different state to state? Sort of. They're along the same lines. Okay. So the PROTECT Act, which was passed in 2003, which established the role of the Amber Alert coordinator within the Department of Justice, calls the Department of Justice to issue minimum standards or guidelines that states can kind of adopt voluntarily and then like add to. Okay. So the department's guidance on criteria for issuing the Amber Alert is this. There's five points. So the first point, there needs to be reasonable belief by law enforcement that an abduction had occurred. So just Okay, so getting a report saying my child's missing, you can't just go off the word of it. They actually have to put a little bit of investigative work. Yeah. Okay. Number two, the law enforcement agency believes that the child is in immediate danger of seriously body injury or death. Okay. Not okay. Three, there's enough descriptive information about the victim and the abduction for law enforcement to issue an Amber Alert to assist in the recovery of the child. Okay. They right. So they need to make sure that they have enough information to tell the public like, what, what for they're this or what they look like. Yeah. Right. So she could be identified. Okay. The fourth one is the abduction is of a child 17 years or younger. 
that has to fall in with the criteria. Seventeen years earlier. Yeah, because if they're eighteen, they're a legal adult. Can you? It wouldn't be a missing adults, child. Well, adults are just allowed to disappear. Did Apparently. you know that? I'm so sorry if y'all heard that scream. That was that Landon. Was not a true crime situation. That's just my son. Uh, and the last one is the child's name and other criteria data elements, including the child abduction flag. They all have to be within the National Crime Information Center system. Okay. So all of that information has to be entered into a system. Before they and can that's send the last out alert. Point. Okay. Right. So each state has their own guidelines and information regarding Amber Alerts, but Colorado does seem to follow pretty closely on those five points from what I've read. However, if any of our listeners are interested, I'm going to link a page to Colorado's guidelines as well. But let's get back to Jessica. Despite the search parties and the posters and the Amber Alert, Jessica was nowhere to be found. It seemed like she just vanished. Yeah, vanished. She was just there and then gone. However, going about 6.5 miles from Jessica's home and in the opposite direction of Whit Elementary, a glimmer of hope in finding Jessica was actually discovered. It was now creeping up on about 48 hours of her being missing on October 7th. When someone had found a lone backpack with was a it water hers? bottle, the man who found it, who wished to stay anonymous, so we're going to do that, okay. found the backpack sitting in like an upright position on Andrews Drive in Superior, Colorado. Like, just not like it had been thrown. Like somebody set it there. But like set it there, just sitting in an upright position. Like somebody would come by and just pick it up. You know what I mean? The man and his wife had seen the backpack late in the evening on October 6th, but decided not to worry about it unless it was still there that morning. Because, I mean, it's just a backpack, so. Yeah, but it's it was clearly also, out of place. Well, it was also dark, so all they could see was an outline of a backpack. So they don't know if somebody just set it there and, like, walked away and was coming back. They had just seen it. This is obviously just that kind of thing. He and a neighbor decided to check it out in the morning, and that's when they saw a keychain with the name Jessica, as well as a water bottle with the same name on it. Neither of them knew anybody by that name, so the neighbor decided to send an email in a town listserv. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but it turns out it's just a way of, like, sending an email to, like, many people, which I think into, like, today's world, it would equate to that app next door. Oh, yeah, we go, oh, yeah. You Your next door neighbor thing? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, like, next door, and you can know what's going on yeah. in the community. So the email sent had the headline, Children's Backpack Found. The message read, Found this morning on the sidewalk at Andrew Drive in Alpha Court. Water bottle has Jessica Ridgway name on it. Come and get it. Luckily, someone who had gotten this email realized the significance of the name and replied to the email to point out what it meant, and then they called 911. So FBI and local law enforcement quickly dispersed onto the area. They sealed off several blocks. But after questioning, like, local residents, they were able to come up with, like, a time frame of when the backpack was placed. Why are you giving me that look? I'm having a tough time with Jeremy's dad here because he got a phone call from Jessica. So why wouldn't he have said, hey, Jessica just called. She's on her way. Well, he did to Jeremy. So then why did Jeremy leave and think that she wasn't coming? Because nobody could then get in contact. It would be like Kenzie waiting for somebody 
But what if something happened within that block? What if Jessica went, oh, I forgot something. I got to rush home. But now Jeremy didn't want to be late, so he didn't wait for her. Okay. But, yep. Got it. You know yep, what I mean? Yep, yep. There was just okay. no way to get it. She didn't have a cell phone. Right. So she could have gone back or something. He didn't know. Okay. So, so what was the time frame the backpack left? The time frame was between like 7 and 10 p.m. on August 6th, which if calculations no, are... October. What did I say? August. Why did I say that? I mean, August, October, they sound the same okay. in the beginning. So if calculations are correct, that's about like 34 hours after she had been last seen. Inside the backpack were Jessica's shoes and prescription glasses. What? Yeah. Yeah. So here's actually a couple stories that were like side stories as Jessica's disappearance continues. One, it was questioned whether Jessica ran away. But that was determined not to be the case for a couple of reasons. One, she had a great home life. We established yeah. that. Like, nobody no. could find a reason as to why she would leave. But two, she was now known to be shoeless. Yeah, no. Who's running away without shoes? And she has no way of seeing because her prescription glasses are in the backpack. Correct. So the other, like, side story, of course, her parents were suspects in the disappearance. But so, every parent suspe are suspects in a disappearance. You have to rule them out. Right. So while we've already covered it here that her father was ruled out, people are people, and they thought somehow these parents were, like, pulling off a huge hoax. I think people just want, it, want shit to be true. Just Right. Or they just thought that they had some... They were in this somehow. Whatever. No. Going back to the backpack, DNA was taken and analyzed. And it did come up with a full profile of a suspect. <gasps> the DNA was then entered into the combined DNA index system. Okay. We know it better as CODIS. Yeah. Okay. And it matched with actually a DNA collected off of a t-shirt from an assault and attempted abduction from earlier in the year. Uh, in the same area? Uh, sort of. Okay. Around the same area. In I the mean, state of Colorado, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Unfortunately, the DNA was not matched to an actual suspect. Oh! It's not like somebody they actually have in there. So police actually decided to start collecting DNA from residents. In Everyone, yeah. yeah. As you can imagine, this is like a slow process. I imagine. Because hundreds and hundreds of collections would now be going on. They can only be processed so fast. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's a matter of consent. Yeah. It's a matter Paperwork of collection. and everything. Processing. It's Dot your I's, cross your T's. Yeah. Right. So in the meantime, on October 10th, a new tip came in. Hours after police stated that Jessica's parents were not the suspects in this disappearance anymore. Hey guys, Ashley here. I just wanted to pop in the middle of this episode to let you know that for the next minute and a half, we are going to be talking about some gruesome things that come along with this case. If you do not want to hear that, especially with the fact that it deals with a child, please feel free to use the fast forward button at the bottom of your screen to go forward about 90 seconds just to get past this stuff. You won't be missing much except for the finding of part of Jessica's body. But I do get into some details that may trigger some of our listeners. If you do not want to hear that, again, please fast forward. Let's get back into the case. Someone reported finding a body in Patridge Park open space in 
Arvada, Colorado. So Patriot Park, it, it's like an old mining area with like a lot of structures, like sheds and cabins for like hikers to explore. Oh, okay. Um, the surrounding areas of the park had like new housing developments. However, the remains were found in black trash bags and were said to be not intact. That was going to be, I would lean forward to say, are they in pieces? Yes. So the remains were said to be a child-sized torso only. No legs, no arms, no head. I guess that's why the glasses and the shoes were in the backpack. Don't so need those. nearby, like oh the goodness. black, I know. Nearby, a silver cross necklace had been found. Did she wear one of those? No. The police were beside themselves with this. Can you imagine being a police officer and the trauma that comes with, like, discoveries like this? And it takes a toll. Upon viewing the lone torso, they noticed it had also been gutted. So where are the guts at? Well, I don't know. No. I didn't mean for that to sound ex like I was excited. I'm not. I'm like. No organs remained inside. The medical examiner actually later noticed that the body had also been cleaned. And that there was actually a foreign object found inside. And this made it difficult for police to say immediately whether or not it was Jessica. But they thought it was. After hearing of the body that was discovered, Jessica's family was in agony. Oh my god. I I'm in agony. And they were just waiting to know if it had been their beautiful baby girl, whether she was found or not now. And I can't imagine what that would be like. No. Because at some point you want closure to know if it's her, but you it's don't like, want it to be right. her. Right. You don't want but it to be her, but you want to know, know where she know. is. Later, police were able to use some sort of DNA from the body to identify the torso. I'm not exactly sure what DNA, because everything was clean. Was clean. It was matched to Jessica using DNA of her family. On October 17th, 12 days after Jessica disappeared, and just one week after her torso was found and identified, police were in the neighborhood of West 102nd Avenue in Westminster. So this is just a mere 1.3 miles from the Ridgeway home. Yeah, because they lived in Westminster. Right. So, again, they were still taking DNA from the community in order to, like, hopefully make a match yeah. to rule out Find people something. or whatever. Yeah. The police spoke with Mindy Sig. Spell the last name? S-I-G-G. -G. Okay. She said that she lived in her home with her two sons. Her husband, Robert Sig, and her had divorced around the year 2000 after having the two children together. There's Austin Sig was born January 17th, 1995. But I couldn't find any information on his brother, like, at all. I don't know his name. I don't know his birthday. It seems that this was a troubled family from, like, the get-go or even before it. It turns out that Robert Sig, he's a media executive for Performance One Media. He had a rap sheet dating back to the 1980s. But Wow. A lot of the rest were just, like, within the recent time, before or after the divorce. So right Were they, there. like... Do you know if they were, like, misdemeanors or felonies? Oh, I've got or... a couple ideas here. Oh, do tell. So, for instance, in 2006, he was arrested for mortgage fraud. That would be a felony. But his rap sheet also had, like, a number of other charges, including, like, assault and battery, burglary, domestic violence. Oh, my gosh. It's all over the place. Driving under the influence, selling and distributing drugs, 
obstruction and resisting arrest. Oh, Sounds like and somebody else I might know. Yeah, that's a touchy subject for you. Uh, he also had like numerous traffic offenses. Uh, he was a hot, hot mess. He was a hot mess. So at the time of this case, though, he was living in fancy pants home, if you will, out in Parker, Colorado. So just out of curiosity, I did a little PI work and I found the address because that is what I do. That is totally what... This is why she has so many pages of notes, guys. This is also why I just went on vacation to Taylor's mansion. Also true. So on that note, welcome to Ashley's Realtor Show, sponsored by Realtor.com and Zillow. We're, we're not really We're not really sponsored, sponsored by, by them. But I'm not against that. I'm not against that either. So built in 1999, 8884 North Sunbeam Trail, Parker, Colorado. It's a single family home that has four bedrooms, four bathrooms, and 4,443 square feet of living space. Holy Hannah! It's like this, three of my houses put together. This includes an attached garage, which sits on a five-acre lot. Five acres? Do they have a farm? What is happening? Not they. This is him. the father. Him. I'm sure he obtained that residence illegally. It is located in the Ponderosa High School District and is estimated to be worth a whopping $1,334,600. This home was only three minutes shy of an hour from the home that his ex-wife and children resided in. Mindy's home was built in 1974. Also a single family home that had five bedrooms, three bathrooms, and 3,192 square feet of living space. Still bigger than my house. Does it have five acres? No. Oh. This includes an attached two-car garage and sits on less than one acre of a lot. It is located in the Stanley Lake School District and is estimated to be worth a whopping $688,900. And if you are interested in either of these homes, well, too bad, so sad, because they're both not on the market currently. But feel free to reach out if you're looking, and I'm sure I can find you your perfect home. Thanks for tuning in to Ashley's Realtor Show! I loved everything about that. Everything. It was it, phenomenal. Thank really. You. Thank you. That's going to be the only highlight of this case of fun. So we're going to get back into the horrific case. Take it down a couple more notches. Mindy Sig also actually had a few money issues. She filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy in May of 2012. However, none of this means anything, honestly. On October 17th, the police had no reason to search the home. They only wrote down the details that Mindy provided them, which wasn't much of anything. However, the community was on high alert due to the case, and local residents found Austin to be quite odd and disturbing. Hmm. You know who Austin is, right? Yeah, the son. Yeah. So, on October 19th, a neighbor to the SIGs kind of led detectives straight to Austin by sending in a tip. The tip centered around Austin's obsession with death. Which, let's be honest, running a true crime podcast and given my search history for doing any of these <laughs> having to do with murder, I could very well fall into the same category. Please do not call in tips about me. I will be arrested if they look at my history. Like, a straight up arrested. So, what they also talked about in this tip was about a silver cross that Austin wore around his neck. <gasps> they found a necklace by yeah. the body. Yes, they did. Snap it out. Because I was excited. I needed to get it out. Police did question Austin and searched his home, but they couldn't find anything to tie him to Jessica. There was nothing. The police went as far as searching his father's home as well, but that turned up nothing as well. 
They were, however, able to obtain a DNA sample from Austin via a buccal swab. Buccal swab? The inside of the cheek? Yeah, that's just a cheek swab, but they have a fancy pants name for it. We don't know that. Again, lessons with Ashley. Just use Google Translate. Yeah. You want to know how to spell it? B U C C A L. Buccal, buckle, buy, boo. Just look it up in Google. (laughs) Cheek swab. So it was after this when Austin started to like feel the pressure and started to like fall apart at the seams after they took his DNA. So let's take a little journey now and learn some stuff about Austin. Oh, joy. Yeah. So in 2012, during this case, Austin Reed Sig was 17 years old. And in 2007, at age 12, it was actually determined that Austin had an addiction to watching violent pornography. How did he know what that was no, at I, that age? I have no idea, but his family, we've determined, was a very rough home life. So who knows? I don't know. It was uh, so bad that he had actually, he was taken into treatment via therapy for this addiction. That's how bad it was. Oh, my God. In 2008, Mindy was concerned when she found child porn on her 13-year-old son's computer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Growing up, he was bullied in school, as many of us are. Um, he was he was really into gaming, going by the screen name Du Hastbach. German. It's German. I think so. It sounds like it. Almost like that uh, Du. Yeah. Du yeah, I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So he also had an infatuation with collecting pocket knives and samurai swords. That's something that we would want him to have as a child. Well, listen, I'm not against collections, okay? I know that. No, I'm not. So I'm not going to name names, but one of Tara's exes was, but he was a Boy Scout. So he collected pocket knives and whatnot. But this is Austin. Yeah, this who is was different. into violent pornography and child porn. I don't think that we should be giving him weapons, samurai no. swords. No. I'm very against that. When he Red flag. Red flag. Yeah, we should not be giving him that no. kind of stuff. Um, I did bring this stuff up to James, and James is like, okay, my son likes pocket knives. Okay, but he's not into violent pornography and having issues as such. It, Trenton is not the same as Austin. It, <laughs> come on. No. So Austin attended Stanley Lake High School as well um, as Warren Tech, which is like a trade school. Okay, so it's like it's like BOCES. Yeah, yeah. Okay. BOCES is our trade school around here. Yeah. So, however, he dropped out of both schools in July of 2012 during his junior year and went quickly to obtain his GED. Fine. That's fine. Fine. A few months later, at the time of this case, he was actually enrolled in Arapaho. That is wrong. It's A-R-A-P-A-H-O-E. It's somewhere in Colorado. It's a community college. So... It's better known as ACC. Arapaho? Arap- is it Arap- Arapaho? Wow, that was... It's one... Indian, maybe? Yeah, what did I say? I'm Why not that. Why so easy? <laughs> and you you're the English reader. <laughs> I, I didn't say I could speak. I just can write. It's her tongue, again. I, I sure as heck can't speech worth anything. <laughs> sure can't. <laughs> oh, okay, so wow. he was enrolled. Yeah. So, so then, it's like a community college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Austin then wanted to further his education that aligned with his interest in mortuary sciences. So he wanted to be like, uh, take care of dead people. Correct. Didn't your daughter used to want to do that? Um. Yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. Like she used to watch Dr. G medical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. 
ACC is actually the only accredited mortuary science program in the state of Colorado. And oh. it develops future, like, funeral directors, directors uh-huh. and morticians. So on October 22nd, Austin told his friends at ACC that he was not feeling well. He said he was sick and wobbly. And it was on October 23rd, 2012, when Austin could actually no longer take it. The guilt was actually far too much for him to handle. And honestly, I hope it was eating him alive. Uh, But the only thing I do applaud him for is coming forward. Because otherwise, I think he's just a disgusting human being um, that may have needed to be watched a little closely by parents, parents. But we've already discussed that his home life wasn't that great and his parents had their own issues. But it was that night when he told his mother that he was the one that killed Jessica Richwood. At that time, by the request of Austin, Mindy called 911 to turn her teenage son in as the murderer. So I'm now going to play that 911 call, which is just under 16 minutes. I know it's long, but I need you to listen to it in its entirety. And I think the whole thing has a lot of clues. Um, It also has some answers to what was going on with this case. It also highlights the way Mindy was feeling when she turned her son in. I I can't imagine what was going on with that. But let's go ahead and listen to this call. Hi, this is Molly at Westminster Place. Can I help you? Hi, um, I need you to come to my house. Um... My son wants to turn himself in for the Jessica Ridgeway murder. Okay, what's the address? 10622 West 102nd Avenue. And what's going on there? Now, I'm not here. Maybe he just confessed to killing her. I know. I, w- I want you to tell me what's going on. Can you tell me exactly what he said? That he did it, and he gave me details, and her remains are in my house. Did you see them? No. Is he there with you? Yes. Is he cooperative? Yes. How old is your son? 17. Hold on one second. What is your son's name? Austin Take. Can you spell it? You said Austin? Mm-hmm. Okay, spell his last name for me. As it is Sam, I-G-G. Okay, I understand that you're probably, you know, feeling pretty crappy right now, but I want you to know that you did the right thing. Well, he, he, he did it. He just wanted me to call. He, he's turning himself in. Okay, do you think that he's going to be cooperative with the officers? Absolutely. Okay. And you, I just want to verify you're at 
squad car something down here and I will answer all the questions that you want to ask or anyone wants to ask of me as soon as you just Okay, the officers are almost there. I 
I won't ask you any more questions. Thank you. Okay, but like I said, I just I just need to keep you on the phone so we can have you guys come to the door when I tell you. Okay. And I'm gonna ask you just to keep me on the phone when I tell you to go to the front door. You and Austin go to the front door. The officers, you know, the officers are gonna be very, be very careful. And they're going to work with you to, to take care of you and to take care of Austin, but as well as their officer safety, okay? Well, I know. Can I, does, does your husband live there with you? It's my ex-husband. He lives in Parker. He lives in Parker. Okay. Is Austin still there with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I won't wear my life Okay. Where are you guys at in the house? In my room. Okay. Has Austin been diagnosed with any mental health um, mental health issues? Does he see a counselor or take any medication? He saw a counselor um, years ago so for um, porn. Okay. And we were talking and we think that might have led to it, but I don't know. And what? Okay, so he 
so your younger son's gone right now? Yep. Okay, and it's and it's just you and Austin there? Yeah. Okay, and are there any dogs in your house? No, just cats. Okay, and do you have the front door unlocked? Is the front door unlocked? Well, probably how it is. Mindy, I just, I just want you to answer this. Do you want... Do you want an officer to knock and meet you at the front door, or do you want them to come in, or would you like to step outside? I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open the door right now. You're gonna open the front door right now. Yeah. Okay. They're they're not quite there yet. Yeah, they're not there yet. Okay. And I I want can you. Can you hold on one second? It's my sister. Can I can I tell you one thing really quick? The officers that are coming to your house are not going to be in uniform. They're in plain clothes, but they have badges. Okay. Okay. So you can see the FBI. Um, it's it's not the FBI, but it's some of our plain clothes officers here at Westminster. Okay. Okay. So it's it's not it's not an FBI agent, but it's a plain clothes officer okay. from Westminster. Okay. Stairs right here. You're what? We're going to sit on the stairs. You're sitting on the stairs? Yeah. Can I answer the other line? Okay. If you feel that you need to do that. Okay. If I hang up, you can call me back because I'm not sure I know how to use call waiting. Okay. Well, would you feel comfortable? Do you have another phone that you could talk to your sister? Um, this one can answer it because she has my other son, okay? Okay. Okay, hold on. Okay. I don't see him. You are? I don't see 
them. You don't see them yet? No. Do you have a front porch light on or anything that I could make sure that they go to? Yeah. Your front porch yeah. light is on? Are you still with Austin? Yeah. Okay. What is Are you are you with the officers or what just what No, they're not here. Okay. Is Austin still calm? And how is his demeanor right now? I'm trying to get them to hurry, okay? Like I said, we, we're getting officers there as quickly as we can. Is Austin okay with you right now? Yeah, he's just getting really anxious and oh. why. Okay. through this all right now we're actually going to cut this to go to part two but as you can hear there was a lot going on in that message yeah um that that was an emotional 911 call it felt like in the beginning like it was very like don't talk to me yeah get off the phone i need a call like yeah. which i understand if you only have one phone and you're like well i have another son who's elsewhere and plus i gotta call his father and like, can you just get off the phone? But I also know as a 911 caller, you're not supposed to get off the phone. No. And she was doing her job by asking questions, yeah. even though it was angry to them. But that's why she kept doing it, even after saying, no, I won't do it. She wanted to see if they would. And they did answer. Yeah, they did. They did. So, but by the end, they were anxious. They just wanted this to go. Because I imagine, if it were me, I mean, I can't tell you how Austin was feeling. But maybe he started to regret it. Maybe you he never started know. to go, oh, I should not have done this. You don't know. So maybe mm -hmm. that's why there was a lot of antsiness as they knew the police were getting closer. It was just an emotional 911 call. It was a lot. Like I said, we're going to continue into part two. But I don't know, Amanda, did you catch it? That he was also responsible for the woman that the DNA... Yes, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, that. so that was also him. And, I mean... That it, there was a lot of information in that 911 call. and I like are, how she chuckled when she said, he wants to be a mortician. Well, yeah, because what do you say? Like, he's now <laughs> killing somebody and he wants to be a mortician. Like, yeah. all she could do was chuckle, you know? Yeah. And that, I can't, I can't imagine no. what was going on there and how they were actually feeling. So... Let's close this out. Please join us next week for part yep. two. I know that Amanda's going to be kind of sitting on pins and needles yep. wanting to know what happens, and we do this every time, and this is why I hate doing two-parters. But but um, you're two-parters. There are two-parters because you're very thorough with your investigation. I, I like so. to be thorough. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out one thing that I don't think is in my notes for part two quickly, and that is they found a journal in Jessica's home later of hers. Um, 
and in big letters she had wrote something to the effect of, I can't find the picture of it now, um, I think I saw it on one of the documentaries or something, but she had wrote something like, do not talk to strangers in capital letters. You know, that's just what I say, like I said in the beginning of this, that's something we tell our kids, yep. don't talk to strangers. And um, unfortunately, whatever happened here costs her her life. And um, we are going to get into part two is definitely going to be more gruesome than part one because it's going to go through exactly Austin telling us point by point what he did to her. Oh, gosh. Y'all so, better stay tuned. Stay tuned. Join us next time. And again, I'm sorry for this case to the listeners and to you, Amanda, who your now fifth grader is in my apartment. So she sure is. That's a great story. <laughs> See you next episode.